Welcome back, podcast friends, to I Am Healthy and Fit. I Am Healthy and Fit is the affirmation that begins changing your health and fitness from the inside out. I'm Steve Jordan, your health and fitness coach. Welcome, everybody, to the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. What a unique and interesting time uh, that we are in uh, right now. Currently, it is March 20th. 2020, and we are, the world is in a a state of emergency. Um, We are dealing with the coronavirus that we know is a very serious situation that uh, healthcare providers and people around the world who are making decisions to keep us all safe have, you know, basically uh, imposed quarantine sanctions on us on a local um, and more global level to keep this at bay so that we don't spread this contagious disease that is killing so many people around the world. Um, you know, and in light of all this, uh, if you can find the light, um, you know, my, my positive attitude and approach to most, uh, if not everything I do, is one in which is of a leader, right? Leaders don't see problems. They see challenges and they find solutions. And in, in in times like this, yes, it's hard to see that there could be solutions or ways to improve your health and fitness um, because you probably have a bunch of other things that you're concerned and or worried about um, and or stressed about. And I get it. I totally get it. And I'm not discrediting any of that. But we all have our health and fitness. We all have to do our part to maintain that. Uh, especially in a time when something that is causing this is we are at risk of having more poor health. Um, It it could literally be a life sentence if your health is that bad. So um, I've come up with daily tips uh, and and practices to offer my clients ways to stay healthy and fit during this time uh, while my, my fitness studio, Westwood Private Fitness, is closed. Um, until further notice. But uh, a tip that I gave out yesterday coincides with today's speaker, Ed Harold. Um, and it's about taking deep breaths. So breathing is, in, is, is our lifeline. Um, but so many of us don't know how to do it. We either stop it, we pause it, we breathe shallow, or we forget, you know, just really how important it is because we take it for granted. Something that we did from the moment we were born and We've not stopped unless we've been practicing. And when I work with my clients one-on-one, I have them focus on their breath work during the exercise movements that we're doing, and it enhances everything that they do. So breath work is important for exercise. It's important for your health. It's important to build mindfulness. It's important to build awareness of autonomic nervous system reactions, things that are going on inside your body that are happening automatically. It brings us back to our center. When we're focusing on ourselves and our center and our well-being, we're not focusing on the negativity and the things outside of our control. And we are doing our part to be better and make the world better overall. So a little tip there, you know, just focus on your breath. And our guest speaker today, Ed Harold, is an author, a motivational speaker, an inspirational leader and coach and educator 
in and around breath work. Uh, Ed has mastery in science uh, of breath and has guided him to apply mindful and conscious breathing practices in the fitness and the athletic training industry, the wellness and organizational performances in corporate settings uh, to enhance individuals' lives. Um, Ed is a, a great speaker. He's got a great personality. He's very passionate, as you're going to tell. He was introduced uh, by a friend of mine, Mike Holland, who, Mike, I'm grateful for you introducing us. And uh, this guy's also a Jersey guy. So I'm grateful for Ed and grateful for what he's been able to provide us today, especially at a really challenging time. So enjoy this podcast. Breathe. Welcome, Ed, to the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here with me today through a mutual friend of ours. Um, he, uh, he introduced us, uh, Mike Holland, who's a great guy who I, I, I just really admire him. We had some off the, converse, off the uh, recording conversation about Mike and his adventurous spirit uh, that I envy and just love a uh, guy from the inside out. So thanks, Mike, for introducing us. And welcome again, Ed, to the I Am Healthy and Fit podcast. Steve, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you and your powerful audience. Awesome. So, Ed, you're an author, an educator, consultant, and an authentic leadership coach. I love all of that, and we're going to dive into each one of those areas. But what is really jumping out at me is an authentic leadership coach. Uh, authenticity and being authentic is a buzzword or a way of buzz way of being these days. Can you highlight what that means and what authenticity means to you? Well, you know, authenticity is kind of staying on the bigger purpose of what your life's journey might look like. And even though you might be only able to see five minutes in front of you, it's really, really important that you can tune into some of the deeper messages that are coming from your body to help your mind as you go from transitioning to the person you've been to who you are right now and who you want to be in the future. And being authentic sometimes, you know, can be a lonely path. You know, it might not fit into how, you know, society and the social norms might see you, but you feel deeply rich, fulfilled inside your heart because your heart will never allow you to show up small in any moment of your life of challenge. Mm, I like that. I've never heard that before. Like, where did you get your uh, understanding or your appreciation for this authentic leadership uh, coaching opportunities and just being an authentic individual. You know, know it had to come from somewhere deep. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the late 50s in a little beach town called Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I had a, oh, a, a Jersey great... boy. I'm a Jersey boy. Yeah, we're, we're all from Jersey if you look back far enough. And uh, <laughs> definitely, yes. you know, it's uh, I had a great parental system of support from, from my mom and dad. And at an early age, I began to notice that I needed other human beings to connect with uh, for, for me to really fulfill, you know, the deeper versions of myself. And I've always enjoyed the human connection with folks and just being that little spoke on the wheel that maybe gets them through that next half a mile. So, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was always about trying to connect with other people, trying to help in any way that I could, and then being that spoke on the wheel. Awesome. That's really cool. Now, we had talked again just briefly before we got into the recording, uh, how you know Mike, and, and you guys were on the same beach patrol. Uh, so I'm assuming that you were a lifeguard or are a lifeguard in some capacity. 
Yeah, I was involved in lifeguarding for about 20 years. Awesome. Very cool. It's a, it's a, uh, a profession and a uh, responsibility that I believe is very underappreciated. So I want to acknowledge you for your time and your service at the beaches, keeping people safe. Um, you know, it's a huge responsibility and a challenging one to even be, uh, to be allowed to commit yourself to that. I mean, you, you got to go through a rigor of health and fitness tests and, and beach tests and swim tests. Can you highlight some of those and what some of those processes were and maybe even some of your experiences in and around lifeguarding, what it taught you as a person and what it taught you about life? Well, at a young age, I was drawn to the ocean. And whether I was swimming or rowing or surfing or out on a sailboat or anything in the ocean, the ocean was a great teacher for me. It was a great metaphor for me in learning how to interact with something that was more powerful than you mm. and, and learning how to use the ocean in, in a powerful way. And then utilizing that when you're out of the water. You know, being a lifeguard is a lot like playing right field. You know, the ball doesn't come out there a lot, but when it comes out there, you better be ready to roll because people's lives are at stake. So there's a mental component to it. But what I really got off on was really just the athletic training, which was a lot of rowing in lifeguard boats. There was a lot of swimming. I love to be out in the water. And then there was running. And these are just three fundamental uh, assets that you have to require deep skill for when you're involved in lifesaving. Yeah, certainly is. And, uh, you know, the, the oceans in uh, New Jersey are no joke. Uh, you know, people, I grew up surfing in New Jersey. It's where I first learned and, you know, started out boogie boarding and then went to surfing when I was about 14. And uh, the Matasquan Inlet, uh, you yeah. know, pumped some, some big waves over there. You know, one, New Jersey has a, an understated surfing community there. Some of the biggest and best, you know, waves come in the fall and early winters, uh, which are, you know, that's hurricane season, you know, super powerful and you have to appreciate it. I've watched several of like Laird Hamilton videos through the years or, uh, you know, just certain uh, surf competitions. And, you know, the one thing that I love about surfers is their respect, and they say it, their respect for the wave and the ocean, you know, and mother nature. Um, I, I've yet to find a, a sport or skill, if you will, where people are that appreciative and acknowledge, you know, the, the nature of whatever they're doing, you know, and maybe rock climbing one thing, but I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think, you know, the water and the ocean and waves has more acknowledgement than almost anything else. Would you agree with that? Is that something I'm making up? No, the, the surfing community has a rich tradition of honoring its history. Mm -hmm. And from when Duke Amanamoku came over in Hawaii in 1920 and surfed off Million Dollar Pier in Atlantic City, mm -hmm. I mean, there's all sorts of history in, swim, uh, in surfing and how it's evolved. And, and the people who are involved in it today are world-class athletes. I mean, it's not just, you know, sitting around smoking cannabis, whatever it was in the 60s or 70s. These are hardcore athletes. They train just as hard off the water as they do on the water. And I, I totally agree with you. The respect that surfers have for the ocean and the history of the surfers who came before them really touches my heart. Yeah, certainly. And I, I just learned something. I didn't know Duke had surfed in uh, New Jersey. That's super cool. You know, there's a guy who lives in San Marcos, California. His name is Mike May. And he's the president of the New Jersey Surfers Hall of Fame. Mm. 
and he's putting together some podcasts and information that's tying the East Coast and the West Coast. I think you would love to meet him. I'd love to meet him, and I'd love to listen to that podcast. It'd be great. We'll talk about that after. Yeah. So, so Ed, tell us what authentic leadership coaching means. So if I wanted to, you know, improve my quality of life, if I'm feeling right now, I'm listening to this podcast, you know, I'm, uh, this has inspired me to, to move more, to think better, and, uh, you know, start to, to put one foot in front of the other, no pun intended. What does an authentic leadership coach or coaching from you do? How can it help me? I think, you know, number one, I, I want to show folks that there is a tremendous amount of energy available to them to shift their awarenesses where they feel they might not be showing up large in their life. And, and one of those is, is getting control of your breath in difficult moments. And when you can begin to control the physiology around your respiration, in other words, the, the amount of breaths you're taking per minute will be a reflection of what your heart rate and blood pressure are going to be. When you can learn to control your physiology, you have an amazing tool and friend to help you balance your psychology where maybe your boundaries might not be as strong as you'd like, or maybe you're showing up in a part of your life inauthentically, where you're looking for attention in, in a way that doesn't serve the beauty of who you are as a human being. So for me, it's about getting control of the breath and getting control of the cardiovascular system. So important because we know the cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of human beings. So if we can manage our heart rate by controlling respiration rates, then we have the ability to go in and be neuroplastic in our in our brain and our workouts and we can process emotions while we move the body in the gym and it just gives us tools to really keep ourselves on track where we might wiggle off true north from time to time super cool now i love how you're incorporating the breath into this coaching uh, a lot of it's not a lot but several of our guests in the past uh including a, a good friend of mine adam um Friedman, who was just on the podcast a few episodes ago, had talked about the breath work, and he had recommended a great book that I read several years ago called The Oxygen Advantage. Um, and, uh, you know, it really opened my mind up to, uh, you know, I've always known the power of the breath, but just in, from a different nuance, a different way of looking at it, you know, just a different approach. Um, would you say that your understanding of this breath work came from your lifeguarding and ability? Because I know and surfing, because I know breath work is a lot to do with your advantage in surfing and swimming. You know, when I, when I was younger, I, I didn't have any awareness of, of the power of the breath. It kind of came to me about 25 years ago after uh, meeting some people from the Asian countries in India. And I began to notice, oh my God, I can get twice the workout in half the time with less wear and tear if I control my breath first. So I began utilizing my athletic background and I began, began to wedge some of the Eastern arts into, into what came naturally to me, which was moving my body and being a kinesthetic visual learner. You know, I began to get deeper inside myself. And as I began to notice that I was working out with the breath, I was working out more from the inside out. In other words, I would warm up my respiratory system first my cardiovascular system second, my neuromuscular skeletal system third, and I was going deeper inside my cells, and the sweat that was coming out of my body smelled like a pneumonia hmm. rather than the typical glycery wooden type of sweat that you would get. And I was getting a, a lot 
out of a little with a lot less wear and tear. And that was big for me because I was like 35 years old and things were starting to shut down a little bit. When I was younger, I would work out the other way. I would, I would move my neuromuscular skeletal system. Acidity would build up. The brain would see that. And it would tell my heart to beat faster. And then after my heart would beat faster, then the brain would tell my inhale and exhale muscles to work harder. But it was already too late because I flooded my system with cortisol and adrenaline. Mm. So I kind of reverse engineered how I was going to take care of myself and then how I was going to interact and train others. Mm, very cool. It's a great approach. And uh, for those of you who have, uh, have not listened to that episode, I believe it's, um, let's see, Adam goes quite deep into that conversation. And you and I, we, I'd like to talk a little bit more. It's episode number 76 uh, with Adam Friedman. Uh, he talks about breath work. Um, but tell us, Ed, what if we were, we're talking about that breath work right now, we wanted to, again, start moving more. The individual listening might have some experience, no experience, or even a lot of experience. Um, how would you recommend someone to begin start working with their breath? Maybe you could even demonstrate with a few exercises or something to warm up like you had suggested that you did in the past. What would you recommend for us to do? Yeah. So you know, the first thing we want to do is we really want to strengthen the diaphragm muscle, which is a skeletal muscle, which is a dual muscle. It has a dual role. Number one, it's the primary muscle of inhale or drawing energy into the alveoli sacs of the lungs. Number two, it's the primary muscle of posture to hold the spine erect as we move through the rigors of training. So getting that diaphragm, that, well, the diaphragm only has one motor nerve. It only has the phrenic nerve. So the phrenic nerve is one of the major nerves that can push back against stress and we become more resilient to hang in there with the moment. So strengthening that phrenic nerve is something we can do on the inhale by simply staying with the inhale maybe 5 or 10% longer than you normally would. So you're saying breathe in, hold your breath. You can breathe in and hold your breath. You know, we actually hold our breath a fraction of a second, even in natural breathing. There's, there's a capacity for inhale, and then the autonomic nervous system pauses, and then there's the, the release and the exhale, and then there's a pause before we inhale again. And this happens organically and naturally based on social uh, stuff that's going on, what your diet was, what your stress level is, what you're trying to do in the moment. But you also have free will and can override that. So if you wanted to push the qualities of the inhale, the oxygen, the hydrogen, the nitrogen, deeper into your body, you might wish to hold the breath in for a few seconds. Mm. A couple really cool things are gonna happen. Number one, there'll be a, a slight spiking of the heart rate. Not a substantial spike, but just enough to get your brain's attention. And then mm. number two, your brain will begin to notice what a straight spine feels like. Mm. And feeling that early on in the process is gonna strengthen inspiratory muscles, it's going to hold the spine straight so you don't have to recruit a lot of secondary muscles to hold yourself erect so you're getting more out of less. Mm. Remember the lung physiology. The lower lobes of the lungs are imbued with parasympathetic, oxygen-rich, hemoglobin-rich nerve endings. So when we get that air through the nose down into the lower lobes of the lungs, we're going to relax before we react. And then let that air ride up into that top sleeve of the lungs. And we know that's sympathetic. That's our fight or flight or freeze energy. 
when we breathe through our mouth, what happens there is the air never reaches the lower lobes of the lungs and we lose support in the low back and compression mm -hmm. takes place. So the mouth breathing might be just an, an emergency thing you would do maybe for the last rep or two out of a set, but predominantly during most of the set, if you can get the air to come in through the nose, you're gonna stabilize the spine, stabilize the mind, and you're gonna get more out of it with less wear and tear. I love that. Um, in this particular book, uh, The Oxygen Advantage, they had said, uh, your mouth is for chewing, your nose is for breathing. And uh, it was just a really simple way to just, you know, acknowledge the, this, the, the natural effects of where we should be breathing from. And they gave um, uh, a prescription of a, an exercise to do. This was a little advanced as you went down. And it was that in the evening when you're sleeping to retrain your brain to use your nose because some people are like mouth breathers when they're sleeping. Right. And I didn't know whether I was or I wasn't because you're kind of unaware. I taped my mouth shut with like rock tape, you know, kinesio taping. And I did it for about a week until my wife literally, no, not kidding, was like, you need to stop because it's freaking me out when I look over and uh. I see your mouth taped shut while you're sleeping. Uh, but it was such an interesting experience for that week or so. I felt like I was able to sleep deeper. I had better dreams. I felt more rested. And it just, it really, it was a, it was a really cool experiment. I, I enjoyed doing that. And I actually, I've been wanting to do it again, but again, I'm afraid she's going to make me sleep on the couch and I don't want to do no, that either. Yeah. But uh, it's maybe, fun though. When you breathe through your mouth, you don't get enough air. Yeah. Now, you'll see when you started to breathe through the nose, the brain felt enough energy to feel safe enough to move beyond the normal theta waves and in those deeper delta waves where you can reboot yourself and come up the next morning with a big rush of energy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can mouth breathe, and, and I think it's, uh, it's kind of like a last resort. So mm -hmm. trying to force yourself to work out in a way to reprogram your brain so the brain becomes aware that this is how I would, came out of my mother. Okay, when I came out of my mother, I was breathing through my nose. Every animal on earth is breathing through its nose its entire life unless it's hunting or being hunted or it's a pet that's been removed out of its normal uh, community in the world. So, you know, humans are the only animals on earth that are having pr tr trouble sleeping. Hmm. So when you think about it, what that means to me is, is that we're taking too many shallow breaths during the day we're overheating the autonomic system. We're taking too many heartbeats and there's too much acidity in our blood and we don't have enough time to cool the system down to reboot it overnight. Mm. Very, very interesting. Now, let's talk a little bit about nutrition, right? So we talk, you, you uh, talked about acidity a few times here. Um, let's say that you're breathing, you know, you, you've started working on your breathing and you're in the right place with breathing but your nutrition is in the wrong place. Um, tell us a little bit about the effects on nutrition and acidity buildup in your blood and, and its uh, effect over the long term on aging gracefully. It's very difficult. You know, food is our number one medicine. You can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. Hmm. Maybe if you're in your 20s, you can. But you might as well start to train yourself to control your emotions, not by eating. Yeah, unhealthy. And the idea here is, number one, when you begin to improve respiration, the first echo of that is you improve digestion. Mm. So when respiration improves, digestion improves. 
alkalinity goes up in the gut and there's a lot more serotonin and dopamine coming out of the entric system of the gut to help us digest, eliminate, and assimilate our nutrition seamlessly. There's less emotional peaks and valleys and you're more or less just tuned in mentally when you are hungry to what your body is actually deficient in. That's one of the great keys to really listening to yourself before you eat. You know, the ego has a certain idea based on the choices we've made years ago on what it wants at any given time. And transcending that older model and tuning in, okay, what is my body actually deficient in right now? Get that awareness. Don't let the ego hijack that. And then number two, manage your portion size. Remember the stomach is only as big as your fist. It'll expand as big as a basketball. What's the value of that? So just being mindful that when respiration improves, digestion improves. And when digestion improves, there's more energy shooting up your spine to help your mind. I love that. I love the connection there. Now tell us about what kind of foods, um, you know, we've had a lot of different topics uh, and people on here, experts about different foods. And there's, you know, been, uh, there's one common theme of, of all of the experts that I've interviewed to the point is that intermittent fasting is a definitely a, a positive benefit on the body and the mind. Um, would you first agree about that? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Everybody, you know, intermittent fasting is fasting maybe, let's say, from your last meal at night, if it's at 7 p.m. Uh, to 7 a.m. in the morning. It could be a 12-hour, 16-hour fast. Um, you can wake up and drink water, which is highly recommended to alkaline your body as well. Um, and uh, you can even do several days of fasting where you're drinking water or maybe just having some fruits and, you know, other different, there's other ways, there's actually dozens of ways to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have one way, Ed, that you recommend that you've been, you know, coaching and helping your clients work with on a fasting uh, protocol? Well, what I, would, what I would do is number one, I would look at the season that we were in and when that person actually wanted to, wanted to start their cleanse. Mm, and, I like you know, that. That's winter, a great distinction there. You know, in the winter, there's a lot of stuff coming out of the earth. There's a lot of root vegetables, a lot of type of grounding food and stuff that we need to maintain that inner heat to balance out the external cool and dampness. Mm -hmm. So in the winter, you might provide, you know, more of a, a you know, a, a standard American farmer diet from like 100 years ago. And then in the, in the summer, you know, you want stuff that's light and cooling. You want, you want the salads, you want the fish, you, you want the chicken and stuff like that to counteract. You want to have cooling digestion because outside of your body, it's hot. Mm -hmm. So we always want to counterbalance, you know, whatever's going on in the environment that we're in at that particular time of the year. Mm, I, I love that, that you talked about that seasonal diet. I, I'm a big believer in that. I've been doing that. Uh, naturally, without even knowing, to be honest with you, uh, for as long as I can remember, like, I don't like eating fruit in the winter. Uh, mm -hmm. It just doesn't agree with me. I don't want it. I'm not craving it. I want things that are, like you said, more of the traditional 100 year ago, you know, farmer family meals, like, you know, a little bit heavier. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I kind of feel like I put on a little bit of extra body fat. Um, and I just did my body fat a few days ago, it was 15%. Um, but in the summer, it'll like, you know, I'll eat little things that are cooling and things that are, uh, you know, just don't feel, make me feel as heavy or uh, don't make me feel as, uh, 
uh, satiated. I, I feel I feel good. I feel happy with what I've eaten, but I feel energetic as well, um, and I don't feel deprived. So I, I love that seasonal eating component because when we were hunters gatherers, you know, thousands of years ago, um, there were certain foods that weren't available in the winter. We're no different. Our, what I, I want people to understand, and and I want you, if you will, comment on this. You know, our human species, Homo sapien, uh, is no different than it was a thousand years ago or even 10,000 years ago. Our genetic components that make up who we are today to what it made us up, you know, 10,000 years ago are no different. Sure, there's been an evolution of, you know, certain, certain genes, certain things that have progressed or regressed um, or been repressed, but we really are the same species. Can you comment on that and how it's been, how it's so important for us to get back to that human nature, that homo, homo sapien nature? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it doesn't get a lot of a play in, in the media that, that I would like to see. You know, our awareness as a species might be at an all-time high. Mm. That doesn't mean that we're always making the, the right choices nutritionally. One of the little tricks that I like to, like to do with myself and, or, and with others is, you know, how do I know whether something's good for me or am I allergic to it or is my body somewhat rejecting it genetically? Is after I eat it, I'll, I'll go to sleep, I'll wake up in the morning, and if I have an excessive amount of mucus, phlegm, and fat in my throat, I know that whatever I brought into my body eight hours before, my body was somewhat rejecting because it hasn't been fully processed. Mm. So, Noticing what you're taking in and then what is the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual effect of it eight to 10 hours later. And if you have that mucousy substance, there was something in there that's making your digestive system work harder than it has to, draining your energy, draining your immune system that's required to keep you healthy, and then maybe breaking that down and removing something. So uh, when you get up in the morning, your throat is clear and it's easier to connect the heart and the brain with breath. Mm. Uh, great. Uh, you talked about spiritual connection there. Discuss that. What does that mean? It's a topic and, and it's a word that people throw out there, but I want to I want to highlight that. I haven't really highlighted that in any of my podcasts. Well, you know, when, when you go through things in your life and uh, when they're either super positive or, you know, the other end of the coin, super non-positive, and, you, you know, there, there's something about it that words don't seem to provide a narrative to the experience that you're feeling and thinking. You know, it's something beyond maybe our five sense perception. And, you know, it's that little bit of spark that helps us grow in the physical world. And it's that little bit that keeps pushing us forward. It doesn't need accolades. It doesn't need it out of boy or out of girl. It, it's never missed a day of work since the day you were born. But it, and it's, it's not going to build you up in an artificial way and be a cheerleader and all that. It expects you to be perfect. And when you're not, it corrects you when you're ready to be corrected. Mm. So there's a whole other world around us that's invisible to our eyes. We can't hear it with our ears. We can't breathe it with our nose. And we can't taste it with our mouth. But we can feel it in our somatic nervous system. And when we come, become congruent with that invisible field, we almost move into a state of what neuroscientists call flow, where there's absolutely no residue of fear or inadequacy or I can't do it. You're so focused on that carrot in front of you, and it's just a matter of time before you get to where that you want to be. And to me, that might be 
somewhat of just a layman's for me spiritual experience. I love that. I love that expression and that that, that share there. Um, Flow was a book that I read many years ago. That was it. Still, probably is a best-selling book, but highly recommend it if you haven't read it. Uh, pick that book up. It'll you know share some insights into that that psychological, the spiritual being in the moments of uh, of a of a purpose and the nature that you're in or a movement that you're in. Um, Ed, you got a lot of different types of, uh, you know, you have a ton of different background in education and in, uh, in, in what you, in what you've experienced in life and now what you're promoting uh, in your consulting practice and as, as an educator. Um, you have a private consulting practice and you also do lectures uh, for small, large events. Tell us a little bit about that and what each of those components consist of. So I, my first book I published was called Life with Breath, IQ plus EQ equals a new you. And mm. what I tried to do there was educate uh, the readers in the value of getting control of your breath and how that as soon as you begin to get control of your breath, whether it's perfect or not perfect, whether you're mouth breathing or not breathing, as soon as your brain begins to sense that you've changed your breathing, it lights up the hippocampus at the top of your brain. And for adults, all new awarenesses and new information first moves through the hippocampus, then goes back into the cerebellum and, and is filed. So in the first book, it was about showing people some pretty solid science that the level of your health is going to be a direct reflection of how you're breathing mm -hmm. and how autonomic rebalancing is available to us anytime when we exhale longer than our inhale, which keeps us in that fat burning mode in the most simplistic terms. And I put a 30 day breathing program on there that just gets people the nuts and bolts of how to get through a month. It'll be encoded in your brain and then the breathing is going to be there for you. I have a new book coming out next month called Body Mind Business. And it's about mm. the psychology of peak performance with cardiovascular health. In other words, taking care of each precious heartbeat and raising your heart variability score. So I, that book is just an extension of that, but it's designed for sustainable economic growth from the inside up through the head and then out into your customers. So we kind of took an Eastern approach into the Western dynamic of frequency, intensity, duration. I speak a lot in a lot of different conferences and a lot of different types of conferences because everybody's breathing. So whether I'm, I'm speaking at, at, at a brain conference or a cardiovascular conference or, or a sleep conference, all of those directly tie in directly to how we're breathing and our ability to control the moment so the moment doesn't control us. And I've, I've been working uh, on refining the message, I think the key is to simplify what you're trying to communicate to folks due to the fact that we're having difficulty in concentrating uh, for more than, ten, say, 10 seconds a minute. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's really challenging for, for all of us in the, the teaching field to uh, really connect with people. So again, streamlining my language so that it's accessible to the longshoreman, to the neuroscientist, to the professional athlete, to the CEO, is one of kind of like the tricks of the trade, I think. It's really making it accessible to everyone. And when I'm not out lecturing on the books, I'm an adjunct professor at George Washington University, and I run stress 
uh, reduction programs for physicians and nurses. And boy, they are under such uh, long hours, uh, high expectations. You're talking about human lives. So I really get a you know, big rush when I get the chance to work with the medical field. And the medical field is the, found, I mean, our health. We need the medical field to be healthy. And when I'm not working with the medical field, I work with athletes in corporate America. There's the, the corporate American athletes are the exact same thing inside. So how do we facilitate, you know, fat burning all day long, uh, save our precious sugars for the brain? How can we keep our heart rate down and keep our neurochemistry open and learn to become a better listener than speaker? All these things keep, keep me excited. Well, you can definitely see and hear the passion in your, in your presentation and in your, in your words that you use here. So uh, you are definitely not lacking in that. I want to talk a little bit about the medical profession. Um, since you brought it up and you have a, you know, an intimate relationship working with them, I've had several doctors on here, and, and many of these are functional medicine doctors, but they're, they're MDs that have spun off from the traditional form of medicine to use a more uh, naturopathic, functional approach uh, in, in dealing with disease uh, from the root cause rather than symptomatic. Mm -hmm. Tell us why do you believe that the medical profession is just so hard hard pressed to make a change um, or is that change happening internally and we're just not seeing that yet because I get people saying I went to my doctor for a physical and I looked at him or her and said you know myself this person needs a physical you know like they need to start getting on the treadmill and they're telling me to lose 15 20 pounds when they should be doing the same they're not practicing what they're preaching um, and I use that as a very general statement that's obviously not all but that's been one of the more common um, complaints, if you will, about the medical profession. Is they're, they're, you know, like you said, stress. They're working long hours. The demands on their, their, their profession and life and livelihood and in their lives is so high. Why can't we balance that? Why aren't they balancing that? Wow, that's the uh, $100 million question. Uh, it's very, extremely complicated. I think there's a few highlights that I'd like to bring to folks' attention today is, is number one, you have to participate in your health. You can't expect anyone outside of you, you're gonna to go to the doctor's office and he's gonna fix you. Now he might be able to provide you a crutch for a while or some sort of assistance, but at the end of the day, you must participate in your health. Number two, folks like yourself are the real primary care physicians of 2020 because as, as a society, we're becoming extremely fried in our autonomic nervous system. We're extremely thin-skinned and sensitive and, and struggle with correction. We adapt to different environments extremely slowly. This is where the genius of the body comes in very handy to help the brain, help us make the transitions that we need to as we move through the day. And structured mindful movement in the gym is one of the coolest ways to repattern the brain so that the brain can help the body and the body help the brain. Mm. Number three is we have to make a decision as a society, when you go to the doctor, are you a patient or are you a customer? You're not going to buy a car. You're a patient. The idea is get some help and get out. 
<laughs> get yourself back going on your life. You know, this is not lifestyle medicine, you know, Western medicine. We're great at diagnosing what's happening, but the application of the diagnosis, I think, needs to really, we need some soul searching there because we know it's not working. Mm. And why isn't the, why aren't the medical schools starting to adapt to this or are they starting to adapt? Like I've had several doctors say when they were in, in medical school, literally an hour was spent on nutrition and that was it. Like we're maybe one day of a, of a seminar and that was it. Why aren't we getting more information to these doctors from practitioners like yourself and others out there who are, you know, spearheading this, this movement? You know, I believe I didn't go to medical school, but I believe there's very little studies on the prevention of medicine and, and keeping people healthy. I believe there's a strong uh, platform for disease management and uh, synthetic intervention, trying to manipulate the nervous system, and the body has no idea what these synthetics are. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier, okay? Get your food under control. Get your body moving with awareness. Action cures fear. And number three, know that whatever comes up, you're better than it and you can overcome it. Stay positive. Mm. Mm, great. Now, let's talk about that mindset. So I am healthy and fit is an incantation, a mantra to build health and fitness from the inside out first. You have to believe it before you can achieve it. So if you go into an exercise program doubting yourself, not believing you're going to lose 10 pounds or you are going to you know, get off of your blood pressure medicine or decrease your blood pressure, whatever it looks like, it's not going to happen no matter what you do, whether it's a, a fitness program, a HIIT training program, which is a high intensity training program, swimming, Pilates, yoga, whatever it is, if you don't believe that whatever it is you're, in, 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 you're going to embark on is going to help you, then it's not going to. Um, you're kind of just going through the motions. Tell us about the mindset and how important it is to achieving optimal health and fitness. Well, I think people need to understand that for the rest of our lifetime, as far as we know, the brain is going to be in charge, uh, whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, our belief of what is happening at any given moment is going to reflect our biology so whatever you believe is occurring is going to go down into your body and your body is going to your the energy of your body is going to respond to that awareness and you know what what happens with adults that i see is that they'll they'll get a new idea in in their hippocampus but they're under such stress and they've told themselves less than loving stories about things in their life that didn't work out in the perfected way that they saw it drawn up in their mind. And what happens is the new information, rather than it run directly back into the subconscious, it's drawn into the amygdala. And this hippocampus amygdala connection that we see in adults is that constant naysayer, or it's not going to work out, or health isn't for me, and poor me, and everybody else has a happy gene but me, or whatever, you know, whatever the stories we tell ourselves. So breaking that, that connection between the hippocampus and the amygdala and really shrinking down the amygdala because we don't really need it 99.9% .9 of the time. There's no physical risk of harm to you. These are just thoughts. They are just emotions. There isn't a lion chasing you 500 years ago 
in the jungle. These are just thoughts. But the amygdala responds to the quality of that thought as if it's real. It doesn't know it's just a thought. And then it sends it down to the body and then digestion stops and all the energy goes out into the muscles and bones and you're fighting or flighting or freezing. So watch your mind like a hawk. Feel free at any point in your life to turn back to the story and say, okay, I heard you. Now, show me the truth. Where did you come up with that information that I was somehow defective or I was wrong? Always turn back when you're getting information. Before you try to escape and go forward and forward into the future, if there's an uncomfortable moment, slow your breath down, shine a spotlight in your rearview mirror, and, sh and tell that thought, hey, if you're going to show up in my mind, you're going to have to bring some truth with you. Mm. You know, I, and this goes back into your authentic uh, self, right? I mean, you can kind of bring it all back into that. And I'm going to I'm going to get authentic and vulnerable here. Uh, one of my biggest fears and fears, someone had told me this uh, a long time ago, false expectations about reality. Uh, it's an acronym for fear. Uh, one of my fears uh, that I have that stresses me out is that I'm not worthy or good enough or what I'm saying is not valuable enough to write a book. And I've been writing a book for several years and the book, the title is I am healthy and fit. And mm -hmm. I actually decided to start the podcast before, you know, I finished the book because I wanted to build momentum and it has, and it has helped, but I've also, uh, you know, have struggled with some of it as well, especially after my book agent, you know, gave it back to me and said, I need to rework it. Um, you know, I'm not used to, to I guess, uh, being rejected like that, um, you know, and thinking that, well, I'm not a writer, I'm better in person, I'm more personable this way and whatnot. Um, so that's been one of my uh, fears and challenges that I, you know, constantly tell myself in that story that I have to get off of. Uh, what's one of yours getting vulnerable and authentic? I can mirror very closely to what you just said. You know, sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't fit in or the gifts that I bring to the table aren't big enough. And there's that unworthiness. And, you know, when I can just either exercise with unworthiness or I can relax enough mentally to explore unworthiness and I can pull that curtain open, all I find is worthy. Mm. You know, wherever I find fear in my life, if I go into that fear, I really, you know, want to know, I want to use that emotion, that energy and motion of fear. What I find out is that that fear is just camouflage, massive strength that I, that I couldn't get at moments ago. So, you know, when there's thoughts that come up for myself that are less than authentic or my boundaries become weak or I'm drawing attention in a way that is very childlike, you know, the, the thing there is, is to slow your breath down and feel that thought. And when you allow the body to help you feel that thought, what happens there is 90% of that thought's going to fall away. 10% of it is a teachable moment. You store that back, you reprogram the brain, then you're right back going. Mm, I love Great. Um, when have you in your life faced some of the biggest challenges or challenge, and what did you do to overcome that? Because many people sit listening, thinking that, you know, again, that's why I wanted us to get real and authentic, that we're here preaching, telling we haven't experienced what they're experiencing. And maybe we haven't, but we can relate to them uh, in some way. 
what is what has been one of your biggest challenges or challenge and again what did you do to overcome that well one of the biggest challenges is for for me is is to continue to grow you know i'm in my 60s now but you know, there's a part of me that swears i'm 20 now my yeah, body you look like you're way younger you look like 20 years younger than in your 60s i'll tell you that so when i become incoherent or in other words, thoughts begin to move so fast in my brain that I can't keep up with the film. It's moving so fast. What I, what I would like to do at that point is to slow my breath down, which is going to slow my heart rate down, and then the thoughts slow down. So I slow down time. Mm. And then when I can slow down those flashcards, I can begin to see little details in the pixel of the story that I can't see when it's moving very fast and I'm incoherent with my heart and my brain. So when I begin to notice that I'm moving into states that are uncomfortable or depression or anxiety, or it's not gonna work out, the first call is to slow down the breath. Mm. Second call is to go to the story in your mind and begin to slow that down, even though it's uncomfortable, because as soon as you slow down the thoughts, you begin to feel the uncomfortable part of it, and you might sense that you're vulnerable. But you're only vulnerable in that moment if you feed the vulnerability. The vulnerability is actually hiding the next great strength, the next great breakthrough. So, you know, getting control of the mind is huge because if you don't use your free will with great awareness, you're going to turn into using it as fear will. So you want to be chosen. You want to choose what's happening to you. You don't want to be chosen for based on who you were 10 years ago. Right here, right now, this moment of your life, you're the most aware you've ever been in your entire life. There's this amazing sunset and sunrise right out in front of you. And you just have to trust that you're right where you're supposed to be. My past is a plus, and my greatest days are one breath away. So you, you great explanation there, but you eluded my question. <laughs> what have you been most challenged or what challenge have you overcome that the audience can relate to uh, in their own way? My physical body is beginning to, to break down. Mm. I, I've just gotten into my 60s, and I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, it's becoming a lot more difficult to be me. Mm. And to me, my body is everything to me. Mm. I mean, this is the home of my heart. It's the home of my emotions, my passions, everything I love to do, everything I don't want to do. And when, I, when my body starts to become arthritic and I don't have that excitement of getting into the gym, I don't have that excitement to go hit the yoga mat or go out on a hike, you know, I've got to really reprogram and reboot what my expectation is as I make this transition into the next phase of my life and remaining positive around the changes that my body's going through and then applying, you know, 50 years of, you know, being with my body as the foundation to try to extract more tentacles so that I can feel a little more comfortable in my mind and body. Mm, great. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. And I can, I can relate to that as well. I'll, I'll, I'll get real here as, as well. I also, I'm about 45 years old and I, you know, I work uh, hard, I'm hard and I'm starting to work smarter, uh, playing, you know, a different game. Uh, but when I play the game like I used to in the game of whether it's business, long days, long hours, I'm definitely my recovery 
Uh, I don't have as much energy at the end of the day. My recovery is maybe a little bit longer than it once was, even just several years ago. Um, and I, I definitely acknowledge that. Um, but what I've done is not dwelled on it. I've, I've accepted it as a part of aging. Um, and I am now finding new ways of balancing or taking maybe a few extra days of rest or applying a different type of exercise program, like you said, yoga or stretching or foam rolling rather than going to hit the weights or the, or the hard long run or the stair climbing uh, where it's going to break me down more rather than I recover more and uh, spend a little more time there and appreciate that, that that's part of, you know, just where the game has changed. You don't see a, a Federer or a uh, Tom Brady, you know, out there playing the same that they were playing in their twenties. They're definitely still at the top of their game, but they're doing a lot more recovery and, uh, you know, again, nutrition and sleep and, uh, just stress management. It doesn't necessarily be stress that, you know, most people think of from the, you know, the day-to-day tasks. It's the physical stress we put on our bodies because there's literally physical stress when we exercise that's applied to the body. That's why the body changes and adapts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had several clients over the years that I've had come in who are type A, workaholic, you know, up all night, not all night, but sleep little and work hard. And I, I say to them, I say, you know, after, you know, getting them warmed up, I'm like, today's not a day you should be working out. Let's do a little more recovery. And they kick and scream and, you know, whine until I say, you know, you got to trust me, I'm your coach. And they do. And then after I'm done, they're like, wow, that was exactly what I needed. You know, yeah. when they should have been recovering and resting, they wanted to work out. So we get caught up in these patterns um, of, of do, do, do more, more, more. And if you're not doing that, you're not feeling achievement or accomplishment. So, you know, acknowledge and be aware of that. So I appreciate that, Ed, that, that share. Um, one final thought here before we, we part ways. Um, what would you recommend somebody if they're, you know, interested in wanting to take that first step, getting healthy and fit, uh, you know, improving their quality of life, living a, a long, healthy, disease-free life? What would you, what were like the top three takeaways that you, and I know you said them earlier and they could be the same repeating them, but I'm just kind of focusing the question. Uh, what, would, what would you recommend someone to do? Number one, try to learn a little bit about breath control and how the breath control helps your cardiovascular system. Number two, as you become more aware of the power that's in your heart, allow it up and give it a seat at the table in your brain because brain health is huge and we don't want to have any of these senior uh, diseases uh, if we can avoid them. So getting control of the breath takes care of the heart. When you take care of your heart, you're stalling aging in the brain and you're constantly growing and evolving beyond who you were years ago. And then number three, I think the biggest thing that we all need to do is if you're looking to do transformational work, if you're looking to improve, you need to burn fat. Fat cells are encoded with emotional molecules or what's been our past, our subconscious programming. And there isn't any of that subconscious programming when we're burning sugars or glucose. So when you're doing transformational work, try to save your sugars, try to burn fat instead, and you'll get a lot cleaner mind-body workout with less wear and tear. Great advice. I would agree and concur on all three of those. Thank you. Ed, it's been an honor and a pleasure. I'm grateful that Mike Holland again uh, introduced us. 
Um, I know that uh, we've had, you know, this on date for the past couple of months. I look forward to seeing your progress and your coaching and being an author. I'd love to get a copy of your book. Um, again, that book is, uh, is called, uh, it was called IQ for EQ. Life with breath, IQ plus EQ equals a new you. Awesome. I love that title. And how the, the, the audience can go to your website, Ed Harold, E-D, yeah. Harold, H-A-R-R-O-L-D.com. And they can find all of the things that we've talked about, uh, including your author, your books, your educating opportunities. Uh, and consulting, and then your authentic leadership coaching opportunities as well. And you have something on there uh, that I actually haven't checked out, but maybe you can give us a little uh, preview of what EdTV is. So that's, I like that title. That's catchy. So what I did there was uh, I made, I have approximately 750 videos that are broken down into different channels. And, and some are traditional Western workouts with breath control. Others are uh, breathing classes where you learn how to control your breath. Others are uh, biohacks for the brain where you can keep the brain uh, locked in on peak performance during the day, stress busters like that. There's a channel there for relaxation and sleep. There's a yoga channel. Uh, so I've kind of created like uh, this huge umbrella, that, you know, mastering both the Western sciences that we're aware of and all of the Eastern arts and tried to give people a rich gumbo of how to stay as healthy as possible and stall aging and be involved with peak performance all the time. Super cool. Great. Ed, you. you have a, a, obviously a very uh, infectious and a, uh, a way about you, a passion, if you will, for lack of better words, but it's a great word to describe who you are passionate, educational, uh, informative, and friendly. Um, I appreciate you, who you are as a person, as an educator, an author, uh, and a coach. So I appreciate you being on the show, and I hope that we can stay in touch and uh, continue our purpose and mission to spread the, the joy and the health of, of well-being to all and many. Thank you very much, Steve. I'm really, really proud of you. I know how hard you work. I know how much you care about your clients. It's very, very special. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much, my man. I appreciate you so much. Until next time, everybody, please stay healthy and fit. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And one more thing before you take off. Would you like to receive a short email from me one time a week on Fridays? Five to Thrive Fridays is a way for me to keep you expanding your health and fitness with five of the coolest things that I find interesting or ideas that I've been thinking about health and fitness books, trends, foods, recipes, supplements, anything to keep you feeling healthy and fit over the weekend and beyond. Visit stevejordan.com and click on the hashtag I am healthy and fit to leave your email address. And one more important note, if you found this podcast motivating, inspiring, or educational, please share with your family, your friends, coworkers, or anyone that you know who needs to improve their health or fitness. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media platform. Taking the initiative to share not only helps the people you share it with, but it will help you because the law of giving to get. You see, when you give with generosity without expectation, you will receive more for doing so. And this holds true when you want to be healthy and fit, my friends. 
This is another exercise that I prescribe to all of my clients, and those that have taken it on have undoubtedly seen the most results. So please, take a few more minutes of your time and do it now. Thank you again for listening. I am healthy and fit.